story of the walls of Jericho crumbling down. And, and I would imagine if you've been in church three days, you've heard that story. But, but a, a new thought rang out as I was reading. Uh, the, the leader Joshua told them, shout for the Lord has given you the city. The city was already given to them and their shout activated what had already been given over to them. You have been given weapons. Scripture says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God for the tearing down of strongholds. Unfortunately, in the body of Christ, we have become too comfortable trying to use natural means to attain supernatural results. But God has given you weapons like the shout and your praise to take over things that God intended for you to have and operate in. So for a moment, can you in faith believe that whatever you walked in needing this morning the Lord has already given you that city and if you will begin to lift up a shout and a praise there will be a connecting of the dots come on yeah come on church of the harvest maybe it's your healing maybe it's your financial breakthrough maybe it's the salvation of your son or daughter Come on, walls, and tear down. Let the walls fall down. It's been given to you. Lord, we praise you. We thank you. You are the I am. You are the healer. You are the victorious one. You are the provider. Come on, one more time. Lift up a roar from your gut, a faith shout that things have been taken care of. Yay! Lord, you have given us this city. Not just our lives, but I believe he's given you the city. Sometimes you've just got to praise and shout in advance. You can be seated. I love it. I love it. We have been equipped. We've been given everything we need for godly living. Scriptures say. We have been equipped with powerful weapons, but so often we forget that if we praise, things change. When we pray, the heavens are moved and the earth is shifted. We forget sometimes that when we begin to quote scripture and declare the word of God out of our mouth that things are created and things are altered. You have been given powerful tools. It's time we start using them. Instead of picking up the phone and calling somebody and telling them maybe we need to activate the things God has given us. Anyway, I'm excited to be here this morning. I have uh, heard how great a weekend you've had and I'm incredibly honored to follow in the footsteps of Pastor Rhonda and uh, Pastor Billy Burke and, and Karen Wheaton and her team and I'm eternally grateful for, for the Davises' deposit in mine and my wife's life as well as Karen's investment in my life. Uh, they both have been pivotal in my spiritual development. Uh, pivotal in my ministry maturity and I'm just honored to be here and humbled uh, and and I hope that I can follow up somebody said I don't know if you can live up to that it's pretty big shoes to fill I have no intention of trying I'm just going to give you what Jesus gave me and we'll just trust that the power of God takes care of the rest right well we moved back to Tennessee because we had a son and that compelled us to to get closer to our family over in West Tennessee and we recently had a little girl she's about three weeks old she'll be three weeks old on Tuesday do you have any of those pictures oh, oh that's see that's my son <laughs> I think you grabbed the wrong ones you got any more it's okay you can don't don't worry about it I gave him a camera with about 2,000 pictures that's my son <laughs> any more you got to be careful with these pictures because some of them are kind of gory. Don't. That's my son. <laughs> yeah, but there is a daughter. You don't worry about it. It's my fault. I gave him a camera with two thousand pictures and said, "Good luck." And and so, uh, but but she is beautiful. She was born almost a month early. Surprised us. My wife woke me up at two thirty in the morning and said, I, "I think my water just broke." I said, "Well, take a shower. Let's go to the hospital." And, and and she was a month early, but completely healthy, fully developed, seven pounds six ounces, and I am incredibly grateful. 
And, and, and so I'm thrilled to be here today, and, and I'm excited about what God's going to do. I'm in a whirlwind time of life. If my eyes have bags under them, it's because last night really was the first full night of sleep I've gotten in three weeks, and, uh, but it's been glorious, and we're having a good time. If you've got a Bible, turn to 1 Samuel 13. I'm going to try to go through two chapters of Scripture in a short amount of time and, and pull out the things that I believe the Holy Spirit is wanting to say. And it's my hope that as we get to the conclusion of this morning that, that you will be inspired in your faith the things that have happened over the course of the last two days will be sealed in your heart but at the same time we will begin to propel toward the future believing as it's been said already greater things have yet to come the best is yet to come we're going from glory to glory to glory to glory right spiritual maturity is not that oh now I'm rock solid and, and I am stable and, and, and I don't get emotional and I just kind of that's not spiritual maturity that's spiritual death spiritual maturity is you keep getting more passionate more connected more and more at life okay so first samuel 13 we'll just man i've got to pick where i'm even going to read let's see i'll just start reading and, and we'll just jump around saul was 30 years old when he became king and reigned for 42 years saul selected 3,000 special troops from the army of israel and sent the rest of the men home and it goes on to say soon after this verse 3 jonathan attacked and defeated the garrison of the philistines at Geba. and the news spread quickly among the philistines so saul blew the ram's horn throughout the land saying hebrews hear this rise up and revolt and all Israel heard the news that Saul had destroyed the Philistine garrison. And it goes on to say, because of this, verse 5, the Philistines mustered a mighty army of 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and as many warriors as the grains of sand on the seashore. And they camped at Michmash, east of Bethaven. The men of Israel saw what a tight spot they were in, and because they were very hard-pressed by the enemy, they tried to hide in caves, thickets, rocks, holes, and cisterns. Some of them crossed the Jordan River and escaped into the land of Gad and Gilead. Meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal, and his men were trembling with fear. Saul waited there seven days for Samuel, as Samuel had instructed him earlier, but Samuel still didn't come. And Saul realized his troops were rapidly slipping away, so he demanded, Bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offerings himself. Just as Saul was finished with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet and welcome him, but Samuel said, what have you done? And the story goes on that Samuel rebuked Saul and, and told him, your, your seed will no longer sit on the throne because of this act of disobedience. We're going to go ahead in a few moments and get further in Scripture. This is, this is a powerful story. And it's a tale of two different types of people, one Saul and one Jonathan. And we'll get into the difference in a moment, but I want to first highlight something very important. Saul was God's selected man to be the king of Israel. He was God's choice. He was God's first pick as the authority over his people. He had a purpose. He had big God plans on his life. But because of disobedience, his, his plans, the, 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 the authority that God had placed on him was completely derailed. God can select a person place upon them big dreams and tremendous promise but disobedience can derail all that God put on you you can be incredibly talented wonderfully gifted highly intellectual financially fiscal and all things in your life be in order but if there is a disobedience be careful and Saul's disobedience intrigues me because it was a disobedience in the face of adversity. For seven days, he was okay. For seven days, he was fine waiting and not giving a sacrifice. But after seven days, he noticed that he was losing power because his troops were leaving camp. And because so many were leaving him, he suddenly became fearful because the circumstances no longer looked good and it compelled him to act in disobedience. It's amazing how many times when things are going great, it is easy to keep being obedient. It's easy to keep doing the right thing, to keep saying yes, but the minute things start 
start turning negatively. The finances go bad. Things get rough in our marriage. Something's wrong with our kids. Our work doesn't quite order out the way that we thought it would. We get a little scared and we start scrambling and we do things that God didn't tell us to do. And it's in those moments, if we're not careful, we will disqualify ourselves from the great blessing that God has for us. But when I say that, I'm not saying that to be fearful and say one mistake ruins everything because he is the great redeemer. He's the incredible restorer. He's quite capable of turning the tide in a moment and putting you right on the right track. But Saul was disobedient. Let's go ahead. Samuel left Gilgal. I'm reading a lot of scripture. Is that okay to read the Bible, you know? Samuel then left Gilgal and went on his way. But the rest of the troops, this is verse 15, went with Saul to meet the army. And they went up from Gilgal to Gibeah in the land of Benjamin. And when Saul counted the men who were still with them, he found only 600 were left. Saul and Jonathan and the troops with them were staying at Geba in the land of Benjamin. And the Philistines set up their camp at Michmash. Three raiding parties of Philistines soon left the camp. One went north, another went west, if you keep going, and then another moved toward the border. There were no blacksmiths in the land of Israel in those days. The Philistines wouldn't allow them for fear they would make swords and spears for the Hebrews. So whenever the Israelites needed to sharpen their plows, picks, axes, or sickles, they had to take them to a Philistine blacksmith. So on the day of the battle, none of the people of Israel had a sword or spear except for Saul and Jonathan. Can you imagine the dire situation? Can you imagine what it must have felt like? Are you, are you with me? I know that was a lot of reading. The scenario that they were under, the Philistines had captivated the land. They were under complete oppression to the degree that they were finding every crook, crack, and cranny that they could creep into to hide themselves from the potential demise. And not only that, but they had been removed from their accessibility to the weapons that they typically held in their hands. And so they were a group of people that were weaponless, fearful, and distraught, and really had little to no hope of overtaking their enemy. There was, it was said there were only two swords in the nation at that time, one belonging to Saul and one belonging to Jonathan. Two people with the sword, two people with the weapon to fight, and two distinct different on how they use those weapons you've been given a weapon the situation may look bleak in a city that has a whole lot of preaching there's still a lot of darkness even in your life it may seem like the enemy is ransacking your circumstances and things look like the opposition is too big and too significant but at the end of the day God will still provide a weapon you might be outnumbered, but he still gives you something to work with. They might have more votes than you have, but he gives you something to operate with. One day, verse 14, one day Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost. But Jonathan didn't tell his father what he was doing. Meanwhile, Saul and his 600 men were camped on the outskirts of Gibeah around the pomegranate tree at Migran. Go on down a few lines. No one realized that Jonathan had left the Israelite camp. Holy Spirit, I ask over the next few moments that your word would be sharper than a double-edged sword. You would divide between soul and spirit. And Lord, you wouldn't cut us to wound us, but Lord, you would cut us to correct us and bring us into your perfect alignment. And I ask over the next few moments that you would help me to be precise and that our hearts would be full as we engage your word and experience the compelling of your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus. Terrible, terrible moment. Difficult situation. Obviously, somebody had to turn the tide. Somebody had to do something about what was going on. One day, in the midst of an army outnumbering them vastly, in the midst, in the midst of their own army being in complete fear, Scripture says, one day. One day. One day. Not over the course of three months not five years one day I believe that's an indicator to us in this room 
one day your family may be jacked up but one day your kid may be lost but one day that person that you've been praying for may be addicted but one day you don't you don't need to 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 worry just know that one day you can trust that one day everything can change your finances may be but one day your marriage might be broken but one day and I'm here to tell you that this could be the one day for some of you this could be the one moment for some of you as we get to the conclusion of this day it could be the one that you look back on and circle it on the calendar and say that was the day that everything changed that was the day when God set it all on a new course one day Man, in the church, we have given up hope on one day. I love the testimonies that we just experienced and the things that we heard because it's a statement of God's miraculous one-day ability. We have begun to try to counsel everybody out of everything, and there's nothing wrong with taking people through a process. It needs to be done. But in one day, he's capable of changing everything. One day. All it takes is one day, one moment. And that kid of yours that's lost, boom. Like the testimony just given a few minutes ago, just one day. All it takes is one good time. So one day, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, let's go over there to the enemy camp and just check it out. Let's go over and just kind of see what might be going on over there. And so... He and his armor bearer took off to the enemy camp, but Saul, the other guy with the sword, had a different posture. Jonathan's was aggressive. Jonathan's was inquisitive. Jonathan's was hopeful. Saul, on the other hand, was camped out. He was hiding out. And it's interesting that the one that's supposed to be leading the charge was the one that was camped out not doing anything had his tail tucked between his legs the one that looked the part the one that was supposed to be the picture of strength on the exterior didn't have the heart and a lot of times in the church we look on all the outside stuff and try to assess whether somebody's powerful when it comes down to it it's somebody that will get it that maybe today's the day and let's just check things out and see what might happen so Saul's camped out and I believe he was camped out for a few reasons. And for some of you in this room, I believe that you are camped out at a place and things are not going the way that you hoped. Scenarios in your life are not going the way that you thought they would. Maybe there's some breakthrough that you thought you would experience that for some reason you've not been able to experience. And I challenge you that it might be that you're camping out and I believe Saul camped out I believe he hung out I believe he hunkered down for a few reasons number one he was afraid he was afraid that if I leave this spot and expose myself to the enemy I will be killed that I don't have enough men I don't have enough resources I don't have enough positive things in my pocket to justify me taking any kind of risk let me hide and for some of us in this room, we get stuck in a spiritual rut, a financial rut, an emotional rut, and a relational rut because of fear. We're afraid of what could go wrong. Unfortunately, a whole lot of us have a wrong disposition. When we look at any situation, we assess it and automatically see all the things that could happen negatively instead of seeing all the potential God moments. And I believe in that moment, Saul didn't see any potential victory. All he saw was what could go wrong if he stepped out. If I give in abundance with generosity, it's going to cost me. And it's probably not going to, I'm not going to get anything in return. If, if, if I reach out to that person, they're probably going to reject me. If I really stick my neck out there, somebody's going to think negatively of me. If I take a risk, I'm sure it will fail. If I try this in my business, it's not going to work. And so many people live in the fear of, of what could go wrong that they are paralyzed from ever accomplishing anything of purpose and value. And so I declare in the name of Jesus that you will be a fearless people. That you will be a people that when you see any situation, you see the potential, not the potential pitfall. 
living in fear fear of what other people think I'm not sure if I need to worship that radically because I'm concerned of what my spouse will think living in fear I don't know if I want to go that extreme because I don't know what my peers will say about me teenager living in fear not only that but obviously Saul was in shame he had made a tremendous mistake he had and his disobedience been rebuked by God and probably in that moment felt like I've blown it so bad if I do step out and try to fight and accomplish anything I'm not going to win because I don't deserve it I don't deserve to win I have disobeyed God I have failed God I have made the biggest of blunders I do not deserve victory and there are some people in this room you've been through it you've made some mistakes you have at times in your life gotten way off of God's track for you and as you sit here today you might be free from some of that old stuff but you still carry this baggage of shame that every time you step out and, and hope to see God do something or try to do something for the Lord all the, automatically all of these thoughts come in I don't deserve this I don't deserve this victory in my life. And when things go bad, a lot of times what you do is say, yep, that's what I get. That's what I deserve. And I believe in that moment, Saul felt like I deserve to just be stuck right here and just die right here in this spot. And for some of you, you have a shame mentality where you feel like this is my station in life because I've blown it so bad and I don't deserve the blessings of God I don't deserve the provisions of God I don't deserve the fruitfulness of a kingdom life this is what I, I'm going to struggle I'm going to scrap and I'm going to do the best I can to make it into the pearly gates but as far as an abundant life I, I know that I've kind of that ship has sailed but I'm here to declare to you that in Jesus Christ there is no shame there is no condemnation the weight of your past is completely stricken from your life and you are walking in freedom like we said it's not just freedom from hell it's freedom into abundant life see when Jesus saved you he didn't just save you to remove the penalty of your sin from you so that you didn't have to pay that price. He saved you into something as well. I love it in the Exodus story where God removed his people from bondage, but the real purpose of getting them out of bondage, the purpose of the deliverer Moses was not just to get them out of bondage. That was a secondary purpose. The real purpose was to get them into a promised land. It was to get them into a place of abundance. And in your life, yes he brought you out of shame but he didn't stop there he brought you out of sin he didn't stop there he brought you out of your chains but his intention was to take you into a place of milk and honey a place of abundance and fruitfulness so you don't have to keep wandering around in the wilderness saying I don't deserve to go in I was in bondage I was messed up absolutely not the whole reason he saved you was to get you in the good stuff we stop so short in the gospel message. He wants to get the chain. Absolutely, he wants the chains off of you, but for the purpose of you experiencing his kingdom in its fullness. Not only that, but he was camped in an interesting place. He was camped in Gibeah, which was a place historically that was known for Israel being in contention with one another. It was a place of civil war where the Israelites often fought one another. I think some people get stuck they hide out they camp out at a place of civil war they 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 get they get derailed because they want to bicker and argue and fight with one another and they they get in contentious relationships with people in the room that are sitting across the room and they they get their 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 you know up, they get upset and they get aggravated with people and they hold a grudge and a root of bitterness gets in and they get totally stopped in their tracks or maybe a church gets stopped because they get too busy trying to compete with the church down the road or analyzing what that church did or trying to figure out a way to to disqualify what they did because it doesn't necessarily line up with the way that you like to do things and so you say well that church they might be growing in number but they're cheating they ain't doing it right 
and we derail ourselves, we totally stop ourselves from accomplishing anything in God because we camp out at a place where we want to fight with one another instead of saying, I'm moving past this. My enemy is not my friend. My, en- my enemy is not my brother. I have a whole different enemy that has taken way too much territory that has accomplished too much in my life. I'm not fighting that. I'm not fighting my buddy anymore. But man, in the body of Christ, we have become very adept at using the sword that we do have on each other. I went to Bible college. It's been a while ago now. I graduated in 99. And, and I look back on that experience, and I'm a little perplexed because it seemed that most of the time they were trying to teach us the Scripture so that we could refute what other people were doing. So they gave us a sword and sharpened our sword so that we could stab everybody else that was carrying a sword as well. Instead of give me the word of God, give me the tools so that I can go accomplish something and push back darkness. And we've done that in the body of Christ. We have tried to argue and disagree. Well, they're seeker sensitive, so I don't know if they're right. Or they're too charismatic. Who cares? Just do what God told you to do. Be obedient to your calling. Let him sort the rest out. Don't be jealous. And while we're at it, don't be jealous of everybody else that's in the seats around you. God might be blessed. Thank God that he's blessing them. Don't get all upset. Don't get your panties in a wad because he's doing something good for somebody else. They might have had to go through something that you never even thought you would have to go through or never even wanted to go through. God gave them a totally different path. And he said, be obedient to my path. And when you stand before Jesus, if we can talk plain for a minute, he's not going to judge you based off what happened in the, per- in the seat uh, of the person next to you. He's not going to judge you in comparison to them. He's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? And sure, I gave Billy Graham this, but I'm not holding you to the Billy Graham standard. I'm holding you to the standard of which I gave you. He said, I gave one ten talents, one five, and one one talent. He judged each according to what they did with what they were given. So quit worrying about everybody else. Quit getting aggravated with everybody else. Quit getting jealous of everybody else. It'll derail you. It'll stop you from the blessings of God. You'll camp out at that spot and look up 25 years from now and wonder, why didn't I experience the life I thought I would? Because you got stuck stuck at a place of civil war you camped out there now I know at the end of a conference like this you know everybody feels good and everybody's excited and we don't have any of that issue up in here yeah right we can sing and shout and dance and hallelujah and shundai all day long but we'll go home and we'll talk about who, what everybody else was doing so I'm not, saying, I'm not saying you're an awful person. I'm just saying please don't camp out there because it will kill you. Saul camped there. And he also camped at the pomegranate tree. Pomegranate was a sign of piety, of religiosity. Pomegranate, the image of a pomegranate was woven into the priestly garments. Pomegranate has 613 seeds typically, which they believe correlated with the 1600 or the 613 laws of the Torah. It was a sign of, of piety, of, of spiritual uprightness, of religion. And a lot of people get camped out right there. They get way more wrapped up in protocol, in ritual. They camp out at ritual. They camp out and I'm going to attend. And I'm going to give because I'm supposed to give and I'm going to do them. But it never pushes past that to genuine relationship. It never pushes past that to, to genuine deep love for Jesus. And buddy, it's easy to get camped out at the pomegranate tree. We're conditioned in America to be at the pomegranate tree. We, we have created that. That's, that's what the American church does best. I'm, I am looking upright. I, I'm doing all of the things that I'm supposed to do as a good Christian. I'm listening to the right radio stations. I'm voting the right way. I'm wearing the right clothes. I'm, I'm doing all of the right stuff, but not having heart. And I talked with Church of the Harvest about this last time, so I'm not going to spend much time on it. But the bottom line is, if you stay stuck at ritual, if you stay stuck at piety, at the place where on the exterior everything looks right, but you don't have an internal pursuit of 
of the presence of God, you can hang it up now, Jack. It doesn't matter how many times you show up. It doesn't matter how good you thump your Bible. It doesn't matter how sweet you can say hallelujah and amen and how wonderfully you can sing the songs and how high you can lift your hands and how much you can jump when the beat is right. If there's not a heart pursuit on the inside, you're camped out and you're missing God's best. Some people like being camped out though. They love that spot because it's incredibly comfortable. It's incredibly safe. It's not stretching at all. It's, it's safe. It feels safe to allow your fear to dominate you and never take a risk because if you don't risk, you won't have any cost. And it feels really good to stay in that place of shame because it excuses you from ever doing anything for God because you hang your you you stay on the crutch of I'm not good enough instead of seeing yourself as God sees you and challenging yourself to go beyond. It feels good to camp out at Civil War because for some reason it's ingrained in us. If we're ticked at somebody, we like it. For most of us, we don't know how to live without having anger and frustration with somebody we like it. it we love the drama it feels good it stirs us it feeds our flesh and we like hanging out there and we like hanging out at that place of religion and piety because it's easy to show up to church I mean it's easy to do the church thing there is really no cost in doing this but some people say you know what the circumstances call for me to get out of hiding and if I'm ever going to see God do something special some people just get to the point where they are not content with status quo one day Jonathan said to his armor bearer come on <laughs> come on let's go to where the Philistines have their outpost I love it because it says no one realized that Jonathan had left the camp Jonathan didn't go out of the camp with trumpet blast and pomp and circumstance and saying, everybody look at me, I'm about to do something awesome. He snuck out and nobody saw what he was doing. It's to the sneaky ones that the spoils go to. It's the ones that don't try to blast on Facebook every time they pray and do something good. That Those are the ones that begin to experience the glory. Come on. It's the ones that say, I'm undercover. I don't need a lick of credit. I don't need the pastor patting me on the back. I don't need anybody telling me good job. I'm just going to sneak out of here and I'm going to do what I'm supposed I'm just going to take a step of faith and trust God. And I don't care if anybody notices it. I love those people. And you look up one day and say, how in the world are they experiencing so much glory in their life? And you can't figure it out because you don't know what they're doing. It's just the kiss of heaven on them. So Jonathan and his armor bearer sneak out of camp. To reach the Philistine outpost, verse, chapter 14, verse 4, Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs that were called Bozes and Senna. The cliff on the north was in front of Michmash, and the one on the south was in front of Geba. Let's go across to the outpost of those pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer perhaps the Lord will help us for nothing can hinder the Lord he can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few do what you think is best the armor bearer replied I'm with you completely whatever you decide when you get out of hiding and when you begin to take a step of faith and I'm going to tie all of this up in a moment but like Jonathan sometimes that road is rocky that, that's not the most comfortable road. A lot of times that road leads you wondering, am I going to make it or not? The, the faith life requires you to go up some steep cliffs that are a little beyond your natural capabilities. So Jonathan says, let's, let's go over to the enemy camp. And then Jonathan aggravates me and excites me in one moment. Perhaps, if you want a title for the message, perhaps, perhaps the Lord will help us. Perhaps, I mean, in the pantheon of great pregame speeches, this was not one of them. 
I mean, you want, when you're, if you've ever played sports and you go in the locker room before the game, you want your coach to say, you're going to rip off their heads and spit down their neck. We're going to kill them. We're going to dominate them. You want a speech that gets you riled up and makes you think, we're going to win. We're going to tear them up. Perhaps. Thank you, Jonathan, for the big pep talk. Maybe we'll win. Yesterday, I went to the Tennessee game. I knew we were going to get beat, but perhaps. <laughs> perhaps I'll go sit in these stands today and we'll shock the world and beat the number one team. Maybe we won't. Probably won't. But maybe, perhaps. I love perhaps. There is no guarantee with perhaps. But boy, we like guarantees. I mean, we're suckers for guarantees. If somebody guarantees you your money back, you're about 58% more likely to buy it than if they don't guarantee it. We like our guarantee. We want a promise. We want a promise that everything is going to go exactly the way that we think it should go. We want a guarantee that if we do anything in Christ, that it's going to be just wonderful glory after we do it we want a promise but here's the truth perhaps perhaps Jonathan and his armor bearer will go up there and God will give them victory perhaps they'll die he goes on to say the Lord's going to accomplish his will whether by many or few it's going to get done it just might be that we get killed in the process but they win anyway we don't like perhaps. But that's exactly where God's calling you to live. You can be Saul and camp out. Or you can be Jonathan and live every day on a perhaps. Perhaps things are going to go well for me today. Perhaps they aren't. Perhaps God is going to bless me when I do this. Perhaps I'm not going to see any results. Perhaps God, when I am generous, is going to, to, to bless me 30, 60, and 100 fold. Perhaps I'm not going to see any fruit. Perhaps. But it's in the perhaps place that God is calling you to live. I used to hate roller coasters. Anybody in the house hate riding roller coasters? You do now. I, I, I hated them. I was terrified when, when I was growing up and even into my 20s, scared to death of a roller coaster. Now, people will tell you, I, I just don't like them. I don't like the way they make me feel. No, they're just scared. <laughs> that is a lie from the devil. I just don't really like them. No, you are terrified that you're going to pee your pants if this thing goes upside down with you in it. I was scared. I remember one instant we were on a youth group trip. I was, I think, probably about 16 years old. I mean, that's the height of insecurity and desperation to make your friends approve of everything you do. And we were on a youth group trip to Hot Springs, Arkansas, and we went to the theme park in Hot Springs. And everybody's riding the rides, and I rode, you know, the rides that stayed closer to the ground. But I just didn't like the roller coasters, you know. I don't really like them. And there was a big wooden roller coaster that was there. And everybody in the youth group was going to get on this wooden roller coaster. And they're saying, Jeremy, you got to do it. You got to do it. And I'm thinking, oh, God, how am I going to get out of this one? I'm scared to death. But you don't want to be the guy that's holding the purses either. I mean, that guy's not cool. <laughs> you think, well, if I hold the girl's purse, that'll make her like me. Absolutely not. That is the opposite. You will not get a girlfriend holding the purses, you know. I didn't want to be that guy. But I sure as heck didn't want to get on the roller coaster. So I'm standing in line, and we're getting closer and closer to getting on. And I, Michelle says when I get nervous, I start clearing my throat. I go, <clears throat> boy, that day I was going, ur, 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 ur. I was scared to death. So we're getting closer and closer, and I'm just thinking, i got to get out of this. I don't know what I'm going to do. I surely, I, But I, I guess I'm going to have to ride because my fear of my friends and, and fear of embarrassment is way worse than fear of this roller coaster. So, so I, I, I sit down in the seat, and we're waiting, and, and all of a sudden you hear the little buzzer, and the bar comes down, the lap bar comes down. I'm thinking, oh, Jesus, this is bad. And out of nowhere, I mean, complete involuntary reaction, my hand goes... 
I didn't even know. I didn't even try it. My mind didn't even tell it to go up. It just went up. I looked in, in amazement. There it is. And the worker comes to me and says, you know, you have a problem? I said, yeah, I feel sick. <laughs> Lie number three. <laughs> he said, are you sure? Yeah, I need to get off this thing real bad. He said, but I'll have to lift the bar up on everybody else, and it'll take, it'll take five minutes to get. I really feel bad. <laughs> so they lift the bar up. I get off the roller coaster. I go hold the purses. I didn't get a girlfriend. <laughs> But after a while, my wife kept compelling me to get on roller coasters, and I hated her for it. I mean, I would literally, when we're riding, say, I hate you, I hate you <laughs> for making me do this. But over time, I began to really love roller coasters, and I, I love them now and would ride pretty much anything. I love it and enjoy it. And my favorite roller coaster, my favorite ride, is at Disney World, uh, and, and it's called Tower of Terror. Does anybody know what that ride is? <laughs> Tower of I love the Tower of Terror. What, what the Tower of Terror is is you you get in this this big metal box and you go in the dark and you know at Disney World everything has like a show to go with it. So it's like this twilight zone. Doo -doo 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 -doo. You're seeing all these video images and you know but but at the end you know that at some point that cart you're in is going to drop straight down, go up and and go up and down like five or six or ten or fifteen or a hundred times it feels like and, and and it's 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 a great ride but it's kind of scary too and, and there's this moment on the ride when all the little videos stop and it goes completely dark and you feel that warmth from the outside because there's a big window that will open up right before you drop and you, you, you feel the heat from the outside and you can't you literally can't see your hand in front of your face that is the greatest moment ever I call it the OMG moment, the oh my God moment. Literally in that moment, you are exhilarated with excitement and you are terrified with fear. I mean, you, 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 you are thinking, oh my God, I'm about to plummet to the earth, but oh my God, this is going to be so much fun. And, and it's in that little spot right before it drops, right before you go to the ground, that's the best part of any ride. It's, it's on the roller coaster when you're right at the top of the hill. And it's like, oh, we're about to go down. But yeah, we're about to go down. That's the OMG place. And that's where God calls us to live. That's the perhaps place. That's where God calls you to live. In that place in your life where you assess everything and you think, I am terrified because this could go wrong. But I'm so excited because God can make it go so right. If you could come play the keyboard, man. That's the place that God calls you to live. That's the life of a follower of Jesus. And if you don't feel that with your finances, if you don't feel that in your relationships, if you don't feel that in your worship and in your prayer life, if you don't feel that, you're camped out, friend. If you're not living a life and stepping out there in faith where things could go really wrong or things could go really great, if you're not in that spot, you're not living. You're not living a life of faith. And you'll never see God do the miraculous. You'll never experience kingdom living to the fullest if you don't take some chances along the way. If you just camp out and stay comfortable and feel good, you'll miss out on all of the best stuff. If I give big time generously like I feel God calling me to give financially, perhaps... I won't be able to go to Jay Alexander's next week or go to the mall and buy the clothes that I want to buy. Or maybe I can't even buy Taco Bell, perhaps. But perhaps he'll bless you 30, 60, 100 fold. If I fast, if I really fast, I could just get real hungry and not see any results. Perhaps that could be what happens. But perhaps... I could experience the presence of God, have dreams and visions, and see my son or daughter come home to Jesus, perhaps.
That's where I want to live. If I go and, and share the love of Jesus Christ with my friend at work, perhaps they're going to laugh at me and look in my face and, and basically ignore me, kind of shun me. Perhaps I'll lose a friend and I'll feel awkward around them every time I get around them. Or perhaps tears will come down their face and they'll say, I've been waiting to hear this all my life. I want Jesus. Perhaps. Perhaps if I have that conversation with my spouse and I tell them what's really going on on the inside of me and, and it might it, it might make them a little mad at me if I tell them the, the dreams that I have or, or if I tell them some of the things that I'm, I'm not happy about perhaps they could get mad at me or perhaps it could birth the type of marriage you always knew, knew you, were, you always knew you were supposed to have In business, if I take this chance that I feel like God's wanting me to take, that's in my heart to take, perhaps I could lose everything. Or perhaps it'll be the thing that causes your business to multiply exponentially. Can I tell you about my dad? My dad's owned a concrete finishing business with his brother for, for years and they do huge commercial work I mean they do they do big stuff like casinos and, and school systems and things like that and a few years back they were posed with kind of a crossroads moment there was a, a, a piece of machinery that if they purchased the machinery it would give them the ability to do significantly more work with less manpower and so they would be able to take on larger and larger tasks and make drastically more profit. But the piece of machinery cost $250,000. And they really didn't have that available. They could have went to, I mean, they had good standing with the banks. They could have got a loan, but it would have, it would have hung a, a debt over them that they had never had in their business. And my dad and my, my uncle were on opposite ends of the spectrum. My uncle said, no, we don't need to take the risk. I mean, we, we can't afford it. That's, it's, it's, it's scary. My dad said, come on, we need to do it. We need to do it. My dad eventually gave in to my uncle. And, and my dad on the porch a few months ago said, the biggest regret I have in business is that we didn't purchase that machine. My dad's still doing fine. The Lord has blessed him, I believe, because he blesses me. He's not a believer in Jesus, but he has done nothing but bless me. And I believe the Lord blesses him because of that. But he said, I, I could have been wealthy if we would have made that move. You say, well, doing well versus wealthy. I'm, no, I'm just trying to scrape by versus getting enough to have a little bit in the bank. The story is the same. Perhaps. Perhaps, 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 perhaps. Perhaps today will be the day that you get healed. Or perhaps you'll come to the altar and nothing will happen. But maybe this can be your one day. I'm just ready in my life. You know, I know you guys have had just an unbelievably powerful experience over the last few days. And, and honestly, I kind of thought I'd do a lot more shouting than I've done. But I feel like for so many of you, you've lived at a place where you've wondered, are things ever going to change for me? Are they? We've had glory in the altars. We've had amazing experiences. But when I go home, I'm still surrounded by all the same stuff that I was surrounded by before. I'm still dealing with all the stuff. I feel closer to Jesus and I'm thankful for that and I feel His presence and I'm thankful for that. But my marriage is still a mess. My kids are still lost. My finances are still in disarray. My health is still not what it should be. And for you today, I want to say perhaps. And there is a moment... There is a step of faith. There is an action step that God is calling some of you to. And you know it. Our problem in, in the body of Christ is not a lack of information or really a lack of knowledge. Our problem is a lack of action upon that which we know to do. That's our biggest issue. 
we have been churched enough we have heard enough sermons we know what to do we've just got to shift our thinking instead of saying perhaps it could go wrong perhaps today is the day I love it perhaps Holy Spirit Church of the Harvest perhaps I want to stop I, I don't want to go into altar ministry just yet there's one more part of the story that we got to tell the armor bearer said do what's in your heart to do I'm with you for some of you you got to find somebody in your life that says whatever's in your heart to do I'm with you you do it and for some of you you need to be that for somebody else and can I talk to this church I don't know how many guests we have you know visitors but you've got two people here that are saying perhaps in your pastors and they need somebody to stand behind them and say okay I've heard the perhaps and it might fall apart if we take some of these risks they're talking about taking but I'm with you all the way do what is in your heart to do and I want to tell you that I'm with you however I can be do what's in your heart to do so the story goes that Jonathan I think you probably already know where the story goes but Jonathan goes into the camp of the enemy he kind of lays the fleece out before the Lord says God if this happens we'll attack if this happens we won't and, and so all signs pointed to attack and so two men with one sword ran into a regiment of 20 soldiers and killed all 20 of the Philistines and Israelites heard that something had shaken it says Saul realized Jonathan had left the camp and Saul said let's go fight it's amazing how somebody that's camped out suddenly can be stirred to action when somebody that says perhaps gets active it's amazing how you can influence other people with your perhaps that you begin to take steps of faith you begin to worship like you've never worshiped before and pray like you've never prayed before and give like you've never given before and take some chances out there take some OMG moments out there and the people around you will look people that have been camped out for years will see the blessing in your life see the victory in your life see the triumph in your life and say why have I been sitting here all this time why have I been camped out why have I been living in lack let me try what they tried and the story goes that they routed the Philistines. So your perhaps is tied to everybody else's life in this room. Your perhaps gives other people a permission to have a perhaps. Your OMG moment compels other people to go into the same OMG moments. I want you to close your eyes. what is it for you what is your perhaps what is the OMG moment God is calling you to step into my challenge to you for a lot of you you're going to have to act on that when you walk out of these doors but while we're here this morning perhaps somebody's going to get healed while we're here this morning perhaps somebody is going to get delivered I was in Tullahoma, Tennessee a few weeks ago just listen listen as your eyes are closed allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you but I was in Tullahoma, Tennessee a few weeks ago and an 89 year old woman came to the altar said she wanted prayer for her hearing my first thought was and she's an old friend of mine I've known her for years I mean she, she wears hearing aids but she is almost totally deaf I thought she's 89 years old she's elderly what, what's the point I mean that's just what happens when you get older you start breaking down but we prayed for her she came up five minutes later as we were praying other for other people and took her hearing aids out and said I hear perfectly I've heard the sermon I I've heard everything without hearing aids and I've never been able to, to hear without hearing aids or I haven't been able to hear without hearing aids for 19 years 
perhaps. I mean, she had asked for prayer dozens of times. She had gone to the altar dozens of times. An 89-year-old woman on that day, perhaps she was ill. Maybe this is the day. I was in Columbia, Tennessee a few weeks ago, and there's a young man that had, had been working with his boss and got into a fight with his boss because he was an alcoholic and he was drunk all the time and he attacked his boss and he came to church with a black eye and he came to the altar and said, basically, I'm fed up with this alcoholism. I'm fed up with this stuff. I'm tired of it. Maybe today is the day. And so we laid hands on him and had a perhaps moment. The guy, the glory of the Lord touched the guy. Got a talk, call from the pastor a little while later saying he's not touched alcohol anymore. He says he doesn't have a craving for it anymore. Perhaps he's been set free in a moment had another young man just a couple of weeks ago came to the altar it was a funny thing he was he's probably about 25 years old has severe back problems it made no sense for somebody that age to have back problems he wanted to be healed in his back so we started praying for his back and and in the middle of praying for his back he began to speak in tongues. He had been saved for three months, got baptized in the Holy Spirit while we were praying for his back, and his back got healed. Perhaps today is the day. So I don't know what you need this morning. You know, you've been through a whole conference. It's odds are some of you have come to this altar several times and you've not seen the fruit of what you've been longing for yet. Perhaps today is the day. I want you to stand. If you've got a perhaps in your life, if you've got a, I need God to do something, maybe you will, maybe you won't. I, I've got a risk that I need to take, maybe it'll go bad, maybe it'll go good. If you're in that boat today, we're going to begin to worship. If I can have a, a, just a couple of singers to come forward, whoever y'all typically have come forward. We're going to worship and I'm going to ask you to come. And I'm going to believe just like Jonathan one day. I'm going to believe today is a one day moment for some of you. Do you agree with that? Do you believe that? We've kind of come a long way around the mountain this morning to get to this spot of God can and will touch you and change your circumstances. So if that's you and you would like prayer, can I see your hand? Is there anybody in the room? Thank you. You guys put your hands down. Is there somebody in this room that God has been speaking to you about doing something, but as you've assessed the risk, you, you've just been more worried about what could go wrong than what could go right, and you want your faith to change? Is that anybody here? Can I see your hand? Thank you. If you raised your hand, can you come forward? I want to spend some time praying with you. I know it's a little later, but can everybody here hang out for a while? Of course, of course. Pastor Hank, whoever you guys typically have praying for people in the altars, whatever you want to do. Hey, perhaps this is it. You say, well, I want to guarantee. I guarantee you this. It can't happen right now. Can you lift your hands for a moment? Whatever it is that you're needing from God, will you begin to cry out to Him for that need? Come on, Church of the Harvest. I watched you dance and freak out in some worship. Maybe for some of you, you need to do something in your prayer life right now that you've not done before. You need to, to stretch yourself a little bit than more than you've ever stretched yourself. Go ahead and begin to worship, brother. Come on, I'm going to come pray with you, but I believe you, don't, you really ultimately don't need me. You need God to break through. He's the one that does it.
lift those hands lift your voices we know how to pray we know how to intercede I want you praying for these in the altars the same way you would want them praying for you Pastor David, Pastor Connie, Pastor Jeff, I want you to come and take your liberties, begin to lay hands, begin to declare. Pastor Tom, come help me, Pastor Rice, if you'll just lay the base down and begin to lay hands on you. I'm telling you, there's some things happening right now in the Spirit. If you're away from God, you need to come to this altar. If you're struggling with drugs and alcohol, today is your day. It's not a perhaps, it's not a maybe, it's going to happen, but you need to take a step. I'm standing in the gap for my marriage. I'm standing in the gap for my future husband. I'm standing in the gap for my future wife. I'm standing in for my marriage. I'm taking what God has given me and I'm going to the camp of the enemy. I'm taking back what the enemy has stolen from me. I'm declaring war. I'm declaring that I declare war against the kingdom of hell, the kingdom of darkness. I declare that in Jesus' name. Young people, I want you to come and just lay hands on these that are coming to pray. Kids, come help me. Just get behind somebody, stand behind them. Just get right behind somebody and begin to agree. Father, let the river flow in this house. Let the river flow in this altar. Flow through me, touch through me, heal through me, minister through me. That's it.